Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the ADOS podcast. I'm your host, Christian. Your host, Elijah, is still out of town, but we'll be back shortly. You know where you guys can find us. We are on Facebook at the ADOS podcast. Still don't have that Twitter on Instagram as at the ADOS podcast. We are also on Spotify and Apple Music. So you're tuned in and enjoy today's show. Today's guest we have is Linda Garrett Johnson, a former city council candidate in Apple Valley and a good friend of mine. How are you doing today, Linda? I'm good. I'm good. And I'm really excited to be on the show today. Thank you, Christian. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. So I am very familiar with you and your work, but for some of our viewers and listeners and our audience, what should they know about who you are? Well, um, I'm someone that uh, has been living in the Twin Cities for since, uh, I want to say, 1986. I moved here from New York with my family. I have uh, two adult children. I have uh, have a lot of grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say how many. <laughs> well, I have, I have nine grandchildren and one great-grand, one great-grandchild. Um, but I'm really passionate. What people should know about me is that I'm really passionate about making sure that the community is engaged. And what I mean by that is making sure that they have found their authentic voice and that they have a seat at the table when key decisions are being made that impact them. Um, I'm also a small business owner. I have a consultancy called The Word Applied Incorporated, mm -hmm. which I do um, organizational development and Lean Six Sigma Black Belt Process Improvement Consultation. Um, but yeah, I, my, my passion is really community, authentic community engagement and doing everything within my power to make that happen. <laughs> thank and thank you for, for giving us that history and sharing that background. And I I'm, I'm curious and I'm sure the audience is curious, too. They're probably thinking, was I one of your toughest competitors out there in Apple Valley running for city council? And what was that like running against me? Or say, I think that's a good question. Well, you know, what I will say, uh, Christian, is that um, I remember thinking about running against you. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, we should be running together. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we should find a way. So, yeah, I, I, it, it, it was tough for me because what I wanted to make sure uh, right now on the city council in Apple Valley, we have no representation from the communities of color at all. Um, are currently on the city council. And so that's what made it tough for me was that um, I really felt like we, we, we needed to, we needed to form a, form an alliance or something <laughs> to work together to help one another out. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to answer the same question and you, you place more votes than me. So yes, you were by far one of the toughest um, people I had to run against out there. And we had seven candidates on our ballot, which was, extremely tough. You know, I'm coming in as a first time candidate, as a young candidate, and I'm looking to all of my peers who have all this experience and knowledge about, you know, some of the changes they want to do in Apple Valley. And I was really just going off of hope, you know, and uh, I, I think you're right. I was thinking the same thing. One point in the election, I was like, I don't want to run against Linda. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to run. And I was like, ideally, if we both could win, you know, two of the seats, That'll start to, you know, bring some continuity and some diversity to that city council in Apple Valley. And that that became one of my goals. Um, unfortunately, it didn't happen this go around, but I hope to see you in another election and we could 
try this thing again. But that that's important. You know, the partnerships, the alliance, especially in a community like Apple Valley. I, I, I think you're right. And so um, for me, that's another part of who I am, too. Um, I created another initiative called the Center for Intersectional Leadership. Mm-hmm. And that is one the, the main purpose of that initiative is for people of color and organizations of color to learn how to come together in, and look at how what are the ways that our issues and our things that we are that we're trying to move forward, where's the intersectionality in that? And then how do we partner together to achieve those goals? Um, a lot of times we, a lot of times people pit us against one another mm-hmm. within the communities of color. And so then what ends up happening is nobody wins because we're, we're fighting against one another. So again, that's another passion of mine is really helping the communities of color. And when I say communities of color, I mean the black, the Latinx, the Asian, the native, you know, all the communities of color right now who don't have really a, an authentic voice, a, a, a true seat at the at the table, mm-hmm. um, wherever that may be, to bring pe- bring those voices together and say, OK, now, how do we create a table that we can be at with one another? And then how do we move an agenda forward that benefits the communities of color? Yeah. And we I, I think we both are in agreement with that as well, because. We, we just need those perspectives. You know, the, it's, it's hard to change a system, but the people who are contributors to the system keep getting reelected. And part of the reason they're getting reelected, and I talked about this with another guest um, before who also ran for city council and um, on the east side of St. Paul, I believe it was Ward 6, Alexander Bourne. But what, what he was talking about was the reason why... You know, I'm just going to say, because it's the ADOS podcast, the reason why a lot of white people win their reelection is because behind the scenes, they have this mentorship and this recruitment of who they want to pass the torch to. Now, within our community, the ADOS community, for one, we're still trying to get a grasp of what is our role within the politics and what power could we have in politics. But part of the problem is that, you know, divisiveness and division that you were talking about of we're going into some of these things alone, you know, and it's like we need the wisdom of people who ran for previous office seats, people who won their previous office seats. And we need mentorship within this political field, because that's the only way it's going to land us in a seat and make sure we have longevity within those seats. So could you talk a little bit about, you know, mentorship and some of the work you're doing with um uplifting the BIPOC community with um, getting into politics. Yeah. um, So I'm glad you mentioned that because that, again, is another, there's a lot of passions of mine and that's another one. So within the initiative, the Community Engagement Ambassadors Initiative, um, that initiative was first started to first educate the community, um, community at large, but specifically communities of color to help us understand where where can we get involved and how can we get involved and do we want to run for election and how do we run for election and even if we don't want to run for a particular seat of any kind how do we then um, hold people accountable who have been elected to represent us so that's one thing 
Um, and then it kind of uh, it, it kind of um, morphed into other things within the initiative. And one of them, actually, two of the things right now is that um, we have a, a a district 196 election, school board election coming up. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm pulling together right now is a group of people who are going to help me in creating an endorsement process for uh, looking at all the candidates, because they're going to be multiple. Once they file, there'll be multiple people who are running for that, for District 196 School Board. Mm-hmm. What I want to do through that, through our this initiative, is uh, have a group of people that, um, that vets them. Uh, brings them in, um, ask them questions. There are lots of the unions do it. Other organizations do it. The community engagement ambassadors is going to do it. And then we will give an endorsement. Now, separate from that, what I'm also looking at is building a bench. We do need to build a, a bench of people to get people ready to run who are interested in running. And again, you know, vetting people, of course, we want to make sure that we have some sound candidates running. But looking at how do we within the especially within the communities of color, how do we build our bench? What does that look like? What does that mean? You know, uh, and then uh, and then what what I'm going to be doing is, you know, even even if say say I didn't run again, I still want to make sure that other other good candidates run and get elected. So I'm going to be sharing what I, my lessons learned, um, and I, and I'm going to be sharing like how I ran my campaign. You know, what I did, how do you get a a campaign manager? You know, how do you do social media? All the things and all the things that I learned that I did right and all the things that I learned that I did wrong. I think it's important to share that, you know. So that is something that I've started to to do and I want to continue to do more of. So, again, eventually one day I'll be too old to run. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that I will be too old to help other people run. Because we really need to make sure that we are building that bench. And I want to encourage, you know, other young people, men, women, you know, black, Latinx, um, native, Asian. I want to, you know, I want to encourage other people to run, whether they're younger or old. I want to encourage them to run and I want to help them be successful because we we need to, like you were talking about, Christian, we need to have a strategy to ensure that we can win. Mm hmm. Yeah, and it's it's going to take infrastructure. You know, we have to build the infrastructure for our community so that way they have the opportunity for development and growth. And to also see, like, running a campaign for me done so much more than I thought it would do. You know, because a lot of people, and I share this so much on our podcast, is that when you run for office, you're a business. Like, it is a business at that point. So for someone who's like, well, I don't know how to start a business or do a business. If you run for office, you'll get a clear understanding. And there are some, you know, some tax stuff that, you know, you have to get some support and consultants with. But outside of that, it's like you are a business. It's marketing you're you're doing for yourself, you know, and that and I think whatever we build and I say we because I know you include me in a lot of the movements and initiatives you're part of. But whatever is being built, we have to make sure that we highlight each and one of those key areas. I'm saying, yeah, running for office is this, it is this, it is this, and it is that. And in order for you to do it successfully, whether you win your seat or not, you need to experience all of the things that we have listed in front of you. So I think that 
it's amazing and awesome all the work that you're doing and all the energy you're putting in. And I know off air, I ask you, I hope you're taking time for yourself as well, because, you know, being a servant to the community is exhausting, especially when we're alone. So we need more of the partnerships. We need more of the organizers. People, if you're interested in running for office, you know, you need to reach out to people like Linda, people like myself, people like Elijah, because we could help guide you. And we need that. We need that mentorship. We need people that want to do it. Like the reason why I ran, <laughs> there's multiple reasons why I ran. It's something that I wanted to develop a passion for and to be more proactive within my community. Another reason I ran is because I got tired of being told no to funding streams and funding sources. I want to start all these projects. I have great, amazing ideas. Some of them have to do with development for homeless shelters and people who are unhoused. Some of it has to do with the education system. A lot of it has to do with giving tangible resources into our community. So that was a lot of stuff that I wanted to focus on. But when I came to that as just a member of the community, it was always no, 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 no. So I get home and I do research like your seat's almost up, your time's almost up. I'm sorry, but I need your seat because I can't have someone tell me no of some of the amazing ideas that I have that could actually save people and give them hope within our community, you know? And um, I think that makes it, it makes it tough where we have other people to, to dictate what we can do within our community. And it, it kind of sucks, but that goes into the system. Like this is the system that we created. And I, I'm working with someone on the side and it's just an idea, but to recreate how we community organize and run for politics as a whole. So for example, some of the leaders that we have, you know, with all these different movements, including the ADOS movement, it's like who, what community within our community, who are the community members electing these people into these positions? And a lot of these initiatives do great work, but I feel they can do more, way more, especially with the resources, the um, the amount of media attention and media presence they have and the trust within the community. So it's like we need we need some of these community organizations to also become somewhat of a board. And we have the capacity to reshape how we deal with politics. And I think that's some of the way, if you have any ideas on that, like, what are you thinking? You're a consultant, so I know you can help with this. Well, you know, it's interesting because I'm actually doing, I'm doing some consultant consulting work around community engagement with uh, two counties in Minnesota, two very large counties, as well as within the state of Minnesota, and then one city. Um, I don't want to mention the names of them because they're clients of mine. No worries, no worries. Um, but but one of the things that um, that really um, makes me uh, think about what you were saying is that. The one thing that's really important to me that I see is really needed is that people need to understand where their power is. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and you're right. I mean, in terms of organizing and activism and things like that, I, I, so there's a couple of ways in which people are, are active. They're active by protesting and, 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 and going out and showing their, their, their being upset about something or what they're for. That's one way. But what I'm interested in is helping people to understand who they want to elect, why they want to elect them, and what's important. 
you know. So uh, let, let's look at District 196, for example. Um, right now, there's a lot of um, people are very upset about what's happening and what's not happening in mm -hmm. District 196. One of the things that um, is really passionate of mine is that I wished at some point in time that we would have a, a, a black or Latinx individual run for school board. We need more. Uh, we, we need that representation, you know, on the on the school board, you know, and to help people to understand what that's about, you know. So for me, the, again, with the initiative that I have, one of the things that I'm trying to focus on, and, and I even did this when I ran for elected office, I really didn't see myself as campaigning. What I wanted to do was educate, educate people, mm -hmm. you know, have conversations with them. And I'm continuing that. That's something that in the fall I'll be continuing, helping people to understand who represents them, um, how do they represent them, how do they hold them accountable, why is it important to understand what elections are and that type of, and, and how to find their voice, you know. So uh, I agree I agree that um, organizations, entities, initiatives need to do more uh, around that um, and then make it, making sure that the people who, the, that, you, that we're representing, that they understand um, why? Why are we trying to represent them? Why are we trying that? Why are we trying to help the community? What is that about? You know, because I really feel a lot of times I feel like people don't like, for example, we're in what's called an off year election for school board. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of times people don't go out and vote because they, they're they're busy or it's not it's not the presidential election. But those elections are extremely important because they determine who's going to be sitting at the table speaking um, and making decisions on behalf, at least with the school board, uh, around education. You know, the other thing is, that, uh, like you were talking about earlier, we need to get some some more candidates of color out there running for District 196. There are a couple of seats that are going to be coming up. I've got an Excel spreadsheet looking at when <laughs> seats are when seats are coming up. How long people have been out there? I want to make sure that we we encourage some other people of color to get out there. If it's not this year, there'll be another election. I want to mentor somebody to run for school board and get on that school board in District 196. So, uh, yeah, those are things that, that I think are really important. Well, edu education in general is is important. And, you know, as as little as it may seem like people are like school board. Like no one cares about school board. And I was like, you should, because if you have children that's going to school exactly. in district 196, um, I was shocked because, you know, I do live in Napa Valley, but I work up here in St. Paul when, you know, when COVID was happening and we had a lot of CARES Act funds, one thing that my organization did that was productive was use CARES Act money to invest in digital literacy for the community. And that was one of the best things that they could do. And I was like one myself and three other people were like the fort runners for that. And it's still going on now, even, you know, it's still COVID, but you know, post like super pandemic, but what that done for me and for the clients that we had was give them a great opportunity to say, somebody cares about me within this community. I talked to people who are like, I, I, I applied for a laptop for the raffle because I wanted to start a business and that was completely fine. Uh, I need it for my school. My school is virtual. Now my college is virtual. Now I'm getting this laptop for my children. So it was like a wide array, a, a wide array of things that people needed the laptops for. But the key thing in that is everyone needed them. 
at at some capacity, everyone who applied needed them. And the reason I bring that up is because when we had the pandemic in District 196, that's something I was advocating for. Like, where are the digital tech packs that has computers and Wi-Fi and stuff? Because children are going to be home. My Spectrum Wi-Fi is not the best. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Um, but it's like, where where are these things that could relieve people? COVID relief. Like, where where is the money... And that in District 196, school board, and Apple Valley in general, where is that to relieve people of some of these stressors that they have? You know, because we're dealing with stressors day to day, no matter who they are. But if they're people of color, they're also dealing with the stressors worse. You know, because and and I uh, I saw a lot of people in Apple Valley who who came at me about my election, and they were they were just like. I put a survey out there. Let me back up. Let me digress a little bit. So I put a survey out there just asking what were some of the needs are and, you know, what we wanted to do with some of the undeveloped land and what some of my ideas were. And I love the honesty that people got, but quite frankly, it was unnecessary and uncalled for. Like I had people fill out my survey and say, I don't care about um, the, you know, I don't care about my home ownership cost and my taxes going up because I live in Apple Valley because I could afford it. And I'm like, well, the reality is I live in Apple Valley too, and I can't really afford it. You know? So if I can't as a 25 year old candidate, which people were like, Oh, he must have his stuff together. He's a candidate. I'm like, no, the reality is because your struggle is a different struggle. That's not mean that nobody else has a struggle like this. Housing is a need in every city, in every state. So it's like, you can't you can't really tell me that. I mean, yeah, your situation is a little bit different. But I, I think about it because this is why we need to educate people. Because a lot of people don't have the education. That person who responded to my, are unaware of some of the disparities that's happening with their neighbors. Correct. As soon Correct. as as soon as they walk out the door, like the neighbor could check the mail. It could be a neighbor of color. Go and check the mail, right? It could be an eviction notice. It could be a termination letter for whatever the case may be. And that person wouldn't even know. But they would say, because I live here and I could afford to live here and I am surviving in this community, then that should be good enough for everybody else to try to do the same. But the reality is we as the ADOS community don't have the same privileges as the white community. And that's the reality. And that's within workforce, education, that's within um, transportation, that's within mental health and wellness issues. It's, it's a widespread, but I think it's, it's going to take you and I to, to get that message and not approach them in like a targeting way, but educating them. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Um, so a lot of the things that I do, I, I look at my sphere of influence, uh, in my immediate sphere of influence, and that's my neighbors. And I've spent a lot of time educating them about the issues um, and helping them to understand what what really is affordable housing. I think that the terminology, the term affordable housing is misunderstood. Mm -hmm. So again, for me, it's, it's like that education process is helping people to understand when we say affordable housing, what does that look like? So like um, over, this, over the summer, um, what I did recently was I looked at what 
if somebody made $15 an hour, what could they afford to live? How could they afford to live in the cities? I, I looked at multiple cities. I looked at Apple Valley. I looked at Invergrove Heights. Um, I believe I looked at Lakeville, but I published both Apple Valley and Invergrove Heights on my, my um, Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And help people to understand if you made $15 an hour, what does that mean that your annual income would be or your monthly income would be? And then look at if you had a children, if you if you have rent, if you have a car, if you have insurance, if you have what would it cost to have food, you know, buy food, what medical expenses, what does it take? Would you really be able to live off of $15 an hour? You know, and looked at it from the perspective of if you worked for, you know, depending upon what a lot of times people who make $15 an hour work in the like in the industry, like um, um, uh, you know, like a Target or a Walmart or something like that, you mm-hmm. know, not to say that they are the only ones that pay $15 an hour, but you're in that kind of an industry, you know, or maybe you're in the restaurant industry and you're making even less. Mm-hmm. So it was to help people. The reason why I did that was because I wanted to help people to visually see when we say, oh, yeah, people can live off of $15 an hour or less. Really? Can they? You know, and um, it sparked a lot of conversation. I was really surprised, you know, it really sparked a lot of conversation with some people and some people kind of got offended (laughs) and were like, you know, um, especially when it came to looking at housing and how much housing costs, because I also looked at how much it costs to rent an apartment like say a for a, 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 a an apartment that would be able to house um, a family of four mm-hmm. what would that what would it take it, and again if you're making fifteen dollars an hour but you're a family of four even if you have two incomes in that household you're not making much you know so and it sparked a lot of conversation I also um, published some things on my Facebook page which was really kind of looking at the fact that some of the development that's going on in Apple Valley there was also a, a lot of new development going on in Invergrove Heights, I saw recently, where some uh, new housing was going up. And, it, and I think it was rental housing, and it was going to be anywhere from three to $4,000 a month or more for wow. people to rent. And I was like, this is ridiculous. And then somebody came back and kind of, somebody that I know, actually, they came back and they pushed back and they said, well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, a developer or a seller's market kind of a thing. And I said, you know, it shouldn't, we shouldn't be looking at things that way. We shouldn't be looking at it in terms of it's a seller's a seller's market or a developer's market. We should be looking at like you were talking about. Um, and it's not even just the 25 year olds, Christian. I know people who are in their 40s, you know, you know who uh, who are working two or three jobs, you know, mom and dad working two jobs amongst themselves. So you're talking about four jobs collectively wow. just to be able to live. That's ridiculous. And 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 and. And, and some of those are a lot of those are people of color, but some of them are not. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's about people getting used to the fact that it, it, it's to me, it's not OK. It should never be OK that it's, the standard should be that you have to, you have to work two jobs in order to make it. You should not have to work two jobs in order to make it. A mother and a father living in a household together should not have to work four jobs between them in order to live. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, I, I definitely agree with that. The only thing I I have, which is not like complete pushback. It's like, we shouldn't have to work for jobs, but the whole like income bracket is the reason why we have to work 
you know, like two, three or four jobs. And the reason I bring that up is because when I think about, you know, let's just take an average millionaire, whatever that would be an average millionaire. But I, I do a lot of reading and studying. They say the average millionaire gets has about seven to eight streams of income. So it's like instead of us, you know, putting that labor, how could we put the labor into one industry, one or two industries? And then we start working on these different streams, you know, and I think that's it's still work in a way. So that's that's the only disagreement I have. So, and it's not really a disagreement, but it's yeah. like in order for us to live, we shouldn't even have to meet this criteria. And to the development you're talking about, one thing I was thinking about was the diversity battle that we're fighting is actually diversity versus gentrification. And that's that's how I see it. Honestly, I'm like, the reason these things are going up is because they don't want us there. And it's that simple, you know, and the, they're like, yeah, you could live here if you could afford five thousand dollars for a one bedroom apartment or a one bedroom duplex. And that is the ridiculous part. And then I think this, here's where to go back to the education. And I'll let you I know you had something to say, but to go back to the education, it's like. And I used to I used to do this a lot. We can't compete with everyone and we're not in similar situations as everyone, i.e. our oppressors. So we know that these things are not going to change unless we get involved in the politics, unless we're educated and say, OK, could I really afford twenty five hundred dollars a month to live in this? Is it worth twenty five hundred dollars? And then if it's no, don't get you know, sidetracked by like the beautiful microwaves or the Alexa that comes in your apartment or whatever. But we have to really say, what could I do to put myself in a situation where I could be sustainable for my family? And the the way I look at life is like, I don't expect to make the same amount every year. I expect to go up an income ladder, whether that's investing into streams or whether that's, um, you know, getting getting involved with other initiatives that could generate revenue. But I have that understanding about myself is like I would never put myself or my fiance, soon to be wife, in a situation where we where we cannot maintain. And part of that, people are like the audience are probably like, well, Christian, put your pride aside. I was like, it has nothing to do with pride. It has everything to do with I know what I'm up against. So I don't like to create unnecessary poverty for myself and bring on these expenses that I can't afford to pay. And then cars are getting repossessed and then we're getting, uh, you know, eviction notices and evicted and stuff. And it's just not a good feeling. Yeah. So what I was going to say, I actually agree with you about multiple income streams. And mm -hmm. if you if you look at my shirt, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that's another one of my income streams. I um, have a, a, a an apparel line um, and um, called Gema Gear, Gema Gear, G-M-A-G-E-A-R Gear for women who are definitely not grandma as usual. That's a whole <laughs> other thing that I do. <laughs> and I also have written and authored a book. Um, that um, and the book is more for the, the faith community and helping us to understand the common enemy that we have that tries to sow division within the within the within the church. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you. I mean, I, I totally agree with you about having multiple income streams. You know, it's what I'm trying to build on. You know, um, I've let myself get so focused right now on the community engagement work. And sometimes I say, Linda, you got to get back to building up GEMA gear you know? <laughs> and just so the people in 
your podcast know that I will be having what I call GMA events. These are for women who are definitely not grandma as usual. I will be starting to do some of those. But what, the, what I was saying, though, is what, what, what pains me is when I see people having to work for jobs in order to in order to live. That's what I what I'm talking about. It's, it's one thing for you to I, I think I agree. We mm-hmm. need to be thinking as entrepreneurs. We need to be um, in, in charge of our own destiny. When I got laid off last year um, from my 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 full time job where I was at in healthcare, Mm -hmm. I went back into running my own business. You know, I had been running my business before and then I let myself get lulled into thinking that I had a safe job. And then after 10 years of, you know, not running my own business and working for working for someone building their business, Mm -hmm. I got laid off. And it was always something that was in my mind thinking to myself that, you know, maybe you don't really want to be seeing that job as a safe job. Mm -hmm. But it pushed me, it pushed me back out there. You know, you know, I'm semi-retired now. I'm I'm doing my consultancy, but now I feel like I'm in charge of my own destiny. And now I feel like I have the time to do my Jima gear business, you know, my apparel business, to do the word apply, which is my consulting business, to do um, the community engagement ambassadors initiative. But I agree with you, Christian, that as especially within the communities of color, especially, so I I really agree with you there, that we need to be thinking about multiple streams of income. Mm -hmm. We need to understand and have a plan and a strategy for that, you know, and and even as I built up the word applied, I've been looking it, what are the components of it? You know, what is the, what is the, the, how, how do I build that up into a conglomerate? You know, that's separate and apart from GMA gear, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I, but I, the word applied also now has the book, seeing in the spirit, understanding the battle because, because of who I am and it's a part of my overall mission, you know, but again, I agree totally that we need to be as community and we don't we don't think about that a lot as communities of color. Mm -hmm. We're always thinking about working for somebody else. Or I know I I got lulled into that thinking that, oh, you know, I I got out of the business running my own business. You know, I'm I'm in a safe job. Well, it wasn't that safe. (laughs) You know, when when that business wanted to make I was I was a number and a salary on a line item in a spreadsheet when they decided to cut my salary. You know, and that can happen to anybody. You know, but even if that doesn't happen, I think where you're going with this is the way that we build wealth in our community is to be entrepreneurs. And we have a lot of ideas. We need to really be focused on getting those out. So that's another thing that I really there's so now that I'm now that I'm not working for anybody, <laughs> there's so many things I feel like I can be a part of helping people do. I'm I'm actually now a score mentor, the, the retired uh, seniors. Um, I'm I'm one of their mentors now, and I and I want to help mentor people who are trying to build their business, build their business. So if people are interested in talking with me about building their business or starting a business. I'm a score mentor now. <laughs> I can help help you with that, you know. So I agree with you. I agree, Christian. So we do not disagree with that at all. <laughs> good, good, good. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, because honestly, the labor takes a toll on our body, and we we have to consider that, you know, because when we're having, and and it's been recently. I think I'll say tracing back to like the past six or seven years or so, we've been having a lot of people die within the 40, 50, 35 year old age range. And then if you look at their life expectancy, it's like, 
what do they do for work? Are they in the construction industry where they're doing heavy lifting and they have all these stressors? All of that takes away from life expectancy, you know? And I'm like, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Like even in that capacity, it, it is a marathon, not a sprint. And we, we could work on these streams and not say in order for us to, to have these streams come in so we could be sustainable, we, we don't have to do too much labor, you know? And, and one thing you said that was key that I really love was that, um, to your, you know, to your job, you're just a number. And one thing I say all the time is like, as soon as we were born, we're just numbers. That's our social security number. So I say that a lot all the time because I understand that's how the world works. Nobody sees me as me. They see me as a number on an Excel spreadsheet. So I'm like, if that's how business is going to go about it, and Elijah may disagree with this. He's a business owner. I'm a business owner too, but we, he, he may disagree with this, but that's fine. We'll talk about it later. Um, but if you're, if you're going into these, these businesses, you have to think as a business, I, myself and my own business. Yeah, I work for you, but I could work on my side hustles too. I could do DoorDash. I could do Uber Eats. I can do Lyft on the side. I could write a book. I could start, you know, Jima gear. I could do things like that, you know, and we all have skills. Like we all have skills. That's, that's what makes people so beautiful. People are beautiful because we all have skills and it's up to us to figure out how we're going to utilize those skills. Can, can I say one thing? Yep. One thing that I'm trying to do right now within my own family, and I want your audience to think about this. When we say, when you say that we all have skills, I totally agree with you on that. And what we need to start doing is looking within our own family. If we're able, I know sometimes people don't have the best relationships within their family, but looking within our families and categorizing the skill sets, the knowledge, the information that's within your own family, and how can you harness all of that together mm -hmm. and create something as a family? That is something that I'm starting within my own family right now. First, looking at my children, then looking at my siblings. Where is, where is our knowledge? Where is our skill set? How can we, is there a way for us to come together as a family and create something that, again, we have, may have our own, like I have my own individual business, but I'm looking at my sisters and brothers and is there a way for us to come together? That's why one of my brothers, he's a, 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 what I call a partner organization on my website. I've been high, I've highlighted him. I want to do more of that within my family. I'm looking at bringing my daughter in as a consultant for my word applied business. When I do community engagement work, I'm looking at bringing her on as a consultant. How do we do this? Because that also teaches the next generation. Again, it's about building wealth. It's about building wealth within your own family. That's how the dominant culture right now, that's how they do it. We just have not, we, we don't, not that I'm saying that we don't think about it. We just don't do it enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And I mean, that's the collaboration. A lot of us think of collaboration as just like a, if, you know, if someone has their own organization and stuff out there, but I'm like, no, it could definitely be within family. Like you said, that's, we go to a lot of family owned businesses that this is what it's doing. It's showing the family member, the younger family member, the mid age family member is showing them what business is and how to run a business early on It's paying them in a the process and they're doing that labor 
So it's like that's how it works. It's gonna they're gonna inherit the next generation of running whatever the case they may be running. And that's how we have to look at it. We have to look at it. It's like, yeah, a lot of a lot of actually a lot of communities outside of the ADOS community do that and then and I gotta play devil's advocate. Then we get upset where it's like, well, where's ours? Where's this? And it's like Where's the trust? Where's the love? Where's the collaboration within our own community to start doing these things? You know, and I hear it all the time. My cousin tells me, he's like, Christian, we don't have a black mall and stuff. We need to build a black mall. We need to build a black bank. We need to build a black village. Like in order for us to do that, we have to do that. We are in control of that. We have black owners of banks. We have black owners of stores. We have black owners of restaurants for food. And we have black health professionals, consultants, whatever. We have all these tools. It's just time to bring it in together and say, we're family. This is our village. This is our community. Easier said than done. But with all the tools and everyone having their own individual skill, we all have something to offer to one another. And that's another way how the how the you know how the revenue and wealth get shared. Like I, I tell Elijah this, it was like when we're at a movie theaters, we're not thinking about how all of the vendors who contribute to a movie are getting paid. They're all rich because they're doing it through collaboration. For example, you have the, the, the screenwriters, the movie production team. Then you have people to supply the food, the vendors, the Pepsi, Coke, whatever. And then you have, um, people to supply the, the, the slouching lawn, lazy chairs that people get to sit in. And then you got people that supply the space. They're doing it in collaboration. They're all rich. Nobody's complaining, you know, but I think that's part of a bigger issue that um, I know I'm going to get some pushback from my family who love the ADOS. They're like, well, Christian, we are up against a system that doesn't allow us to do that, but we're up against our own cognitive thinking that will allow the system to think that we cannot do that. And that's where I'm at on this, <laughs> on this whole thing. And that's that's what happened with Black Wall Street. I'm mm-hmm. so glad that that finally has gotten the uh, recognition that that is decades uh, overdue. But that's what was tried. That's what what they tried to do within Black Wall Street, within that within that city, within that state. You know, but but even though their end um, happened the way that it did, does not mean that we can't do that again. And we need to do that again. We need to come together again, you know? And I agree with you. I mean, the analogy that I use is the computer. When I talk about people working together, you know, I talk about how all the components of a computer are separate, but they all come together and everybody, that the computer comes together and everyone that's a component part of that computer helped to make it successful. And they're all making money as a result and they're not fighting with one another, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's what the thing that we need to be able, that's, that's one of the reasons why I talk about about intersectional leadership and try and really wanted wanted to help people understand that, especially within the within the communities of color. Yeah, and um, I want to I want to thank you. I do have one more question before I let you go, though. Um, well, more of a comment and a question and uh, a concern as we move forward in our community. But first, I want I wanted to acknowledge what you said and thank you for the free expertise and consulting that you're giving to our audience, our viewers, and listeners. Um, but I, I just wanted to check in about how you were feeling. And if you don't want to answer, that's also fine. But I feel the last election we were in that it, it, it didn't go how I wanted it to go and it didn't go how you wanted it to go. 
And that tells me that we need more work just to transition back into the politics. But you, in a way, kind of lost one election twice. And to me, that's unfair. It's blasphemous. It's insidious. It's sickening and discouraging for someone who looks up to you as a role model in the community, who looks to you for advice. And um, it's just it's just wrong. And I'll, I'll break down to the audience what happened. So Linda and I were both in the same election year. And Linda got, I think it was the third highest amount of votes. How many? Yeah. 8,000? Yeah, 8,800, almost 9,000 votes. Almost 9,000 <laughs> votes. And that was underneath the two incumbents. And then I was right under Linda with about five or six or whatever. But uh, the, the mayor in Apple Valley won a commissioner seat for Dakota County. Dakota County. And um, so then that freed up a seat for Apple Valley City Council. And with what the city decided to do was open up like an interview process for uh, people who were interested in serving as a city council member in the city. And they had this whole process is like, yeah, people have to apply and then they have to go through an interview process and, and do a whole bunch of other stuff. That's their process, quote unquote. And Linda, you don't have to say anything. I don't care. I'm just going to go savage at it. But that's their process. And okay, let's acknowledge the process. But if we look at it, what makes Apple Valley think that for people who promoted themselves for nearly a year, maybe even more, for people who had to go out and door knock and make those interpersonal connections and personal connections with the community. For people who had to keep track of all of their spendings and fundraising and uh, different endorsements. These issues are what we do in the election. We, we are supposed to do those. Apple Valley brought somebody in who probably has an amazing experience and development. I'm not going to knock that. Maybe they are a great person. But this person did not run for office during the election year. Linda got the third votes underneath the two incumbents. Two incumbents won their seats in a free seat. Like, you should have been admitted into that office seat. No talking about it. I wouldn't have been mad by any means. But what happened was a middle-aged white man got that seat, and that's just the reality. And the bogus excuse that was given was this person has been a part of our planning commission for a long time and they know their way around development. When we're looking at a community, our community is so beyond just development. It's a lot of what we talked about today. Education, income streams, housing, uh, Medicare, insurance, all these different things go into it. So for someone to just skip the line and showcase that white privilege and just get a seat that, yeah, they probably had to work for, but not have to work as hard as we had to work for it. It's, it, it's just sickening to me. So Linda, I just wanted to check in about how you feel um, in that moment. I just went off cause I could do that. I don't care. But um, I, I just wanted to check in with you about that before we close today. Yeah, so I will say that um, it was a really 
it was a real difficult process for me going through that, knowing that I had the third highest vote totals. Um, I had um, I did my best to try to reintroduce myself to the, the current council, um, even right after the election and things like that. Um, it was it was difficult. It was really difficult. Um, the interview process that I went through was something to be desired. Let's put it that way. Um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, there were components of it that sh were shocking to me. Um, and, um, and, and, and yeah, there, there were components that were shocking to me. Um, and, and I, as, as someone who has interviewed people, what I thought, what I was thinking in my head as I was going through that interview was that I was wondering why um, I, people were being allowed to make statements to me versus asking me questions. Mm. So that was one thing that, that happened uh, at, at there. But then the night of what I will say, the night that they were going to announce who they were going to appoint, that was a very difficult night for me. I pretty much knew that they were not going to appoint me um, by then. Um, I, I, I know that that there was sort of like this um, round of 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 uh, voting that they went through. But I already had resigned myself to knowing that it was not going to be me. But I decided that I and, and I have to say I it was I was sick to my stomach uh, going in there. Mm -hmm. But what I decided to do was to go in there, get dressed up, do my hair nice, <laughs> put some makeup on, sit right in the front row, because what I said to myself is that I'm going to look them in the eye when they take this from me. Mm -hmm. And I and, and I was not going to just not I was not going to um sit in the back or stay home and watch it virtually. Um, I knew for me, and the, and the council may disagree with this. This is where the council and I may disagree. But I felt like because I had the third highest vote total that they were, because they did not appoint me, which they could have, just like they decided to appoint the mayor. Right. They didn't vote the mayor. Well, they voted him in, but they basically appointed him. They could have appointed me. So when they, once they went to the application process, I knew that they were, I was not going to be the person that was selected. I knew that from the beginning. And I, you know, they can say that, you know, whatever they can say that they went through, I, I, that's from, as far as I'm concerned, that's where we will agree to disagree, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I decided that night that I was going to go there and sit in the front and just, and go through that. And it was a difficult process for me. Um, it was emotional. Um, it was difficult. But I did it and I was proud of myself for doing it. And then having done all that, though, you know, I do I do plan on running again. You know, it is something that, you know, at this moment in time, I do plan on running again, you know. Um, and, you know, and now that I understand how things work, you know, it's my goal to win a seat. You know, <laughs> It's my goal to win a seat. But you know, I, when you brought that up, Christian, what I will say is that it was that was very difficult for me to go through that. It was emotional. Um, it it. it I'll be honest, I'll say I, I felt it felt disrespectful to mm -hmm. me in so many different levels, you know, and it's hard to explain that to somebody who has who is in a position of of, of power to decide whether or not you get that seat. It, it's hard to um, hard to describe that to somebody. So, you know, I, I have I have gotten to know the mayor. Mm -hmm. I will say I've gotten to know the mayor a little bit. Um, he and I, he's reached out. We've had conversations and things like that. Um, 
but what I will say is that 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 process for me felt really um, debilitating. It, it felt you know it felt it was very difficult. It was a very very difficult process. You know, it's, if I hadn't come that close to the third place, mm-hmm. then you know that might have been different. But to be so close. You know, and then the feel like it just felt like the seat was taken from me. You know, I understand that they put someone in there that, you know, he's been a part of the for decades. He's mm-hmm. been a part of, of the planning commission. But, you know, um, yeah, it, it was interesting. It was an interesting process. Yeah. And that's that's kind of why, why I wanted to check in, because I, I saw it go down. And actually, when they did like the application process, some of the other candidates reached out to me like, Christian, are you apply? I said, no, I saw this movie before. I know exactly how this is going to go. And like I said, and there's other candidates who were in our election year that also applied. And they went with someone who didn't even have to go through the struggle of campaigning and door knocking or even, I mean, maybe they have a campaign committee or whatever the case may be. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that was just an unfair process to all seven of the candidates within our election year. And uh, really quickly, it's, um, it is sad. And that's why I say the, the community needs more work and would have more work. Apple Valley should be happy to have you. You are a luxury to the community. And in, in order Thanks. for us, yeah, no worry, no worries. And in order for us to really get where we need to be, we got to disrupt this, this system, this, this, this brotherhood and culture and within the city council. You know, I applied for the planning commission twice and got two denial letters on my fridge. Like, Wow. You know, so you're appointing people at a planning commission. And right after I lost my election, I applied for it because I was like, it's not about the election. I want to be involved in the community stuff. So if they're saying the planning commission needs a seat, I'm going to do that. But whatever reason, I don't meet the criteria or, you know, I don't fit in within the system, but I'm going to keep applying till they get tired of me. So that's how that's how I plan to do it. And I'm glad you're running again. I know uh, the political field could really weigh on people psychologically, you know, it, it really could, but the strongest people survive. Yeah. It did. I mean, I had to decompress after, after not getting appointed. It was, it was, I had to, I had to take some time to decompress. It was very, very emotional, very emotional. Good, good. All right. Well, we're going to close everyone. That's our guest, Linda Garrett Johnson. We're going to have our information in our bio. And uh, thank you all for tuning in again. I do have to say I'm going to be gone for the month of July because I'm going to be honeymooning. So thank you, audience. You've been great. Elijah's going to come and he's going to hold down the podcast until I get back. Love you all. Peace and blessings. <laughs>